Amen. Thank you um, to Jordan and um, to Jeremy and to Celeste. Uh, I think Jeremy and Celeste were the first wedding at our church. I think it happened even you know before we officially planted and launched our church, but it was a thrill to get to do that and be a part of that. It's fun to see the dog around too. I believe that was the same dog that interrupted uh, another video we tried to make. These disobedient dogs. Uh, I'm thrilled that you're here again. My name is Drew. Um, I'm the pastor here at Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights. And uh, uh, really, really happy you're here. Excited to continue this series. We, we've been in a series in second. Peter, just walking through the book. We have just a couple weeks left, just three weeks this week, two more. And um, really excited for that. Um, to continue looking at this book, we've been hearing a lot from Peter, who wrote Second Peter, one of the disciples, one of Jesus's closest friends, um, one of the leaders of the disciples, and he writes to us to encourage us that knowing Jesus is the foundation of gaining life. He calls it divine power, peace, and the grace that comes. From God, and He reminds us of that, and then uh, turns it uh, and reminds us. Um, doesn't turn it, but transitions to a discussion about false teachers. And today we're actually going to get right into that. He's kind of been building up to this false teacher discussion because he's writing this to a group of people um, who who have seen that it, where they are, um, but also I think he's just highlighting that we've always seen that and always will see that. Well, we're gonna. Get, I'm getting ahead of myself. This week, um, I had a moment this week, uh, well, a few moments, but I had a, a moment where I felt uh, all, like a lot at once. Um, this typically comes when I'm scrolling on my phone um, through, uh, whether that's on Facebook or news, this, this happened because I was looking at uh, an app I have of the news, trying to just see things that are happening around the world. And um, it was one of those uh, moments where you see uh, story after story after story that seems just uh, terrible, broken. Uh, it's a story of uh, more uh, about a man killed in Kenosha, and then the next story about other people shot in Kenosha, uh, and uh, more stories of people dying and destruction, and hurricanes, and communities being wiped out. It felt like one of those that, like, can I get one story that's just not terribly sad? It doesn't feel like waves <laughs> crashing over me as I continue to flip, you know? It really wasn't very much fun. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, I'll flip to escape. Sometimes I might flip over to Facebook to just escape, see what some friends have been up to or family. Um and so I flip to there, and what I see there is uh, people blaming people, yelling at people, um, posting about things that I don't know if they're actually true, uh, conspiracy theories, uh, all sorts of things, people upset, feeling the same thing I think I was feeling, but uh, voicing the, the answers to those things saying this political party will save us and this one will destroy us. And then the next post, no, actually it's the other way. This party will save us and this will destroy us. I, it just, that adds, adds like more weight. Where do I go? 
where is the truth? Why are this? Why is this happening? Why? I mean, these answers. We've talked about this last week. Some, if you want to, if you haven't heard that, would check out last week's sermon a little bit about uh, where where we're looking for those things, the truth, and the people who are talking about those. And then this is interesting. The same week, the same day. I'm just kind of feeling that weight, thinking this is just messed up. Um, I get texts, two different texts in the same day. Numbers I don't know. Both the texts are almost the same text, but have different presidential candidates in it, right? So one of them is says, hey, don't vote for this guy because he's terrible. Follow this link to hear the truth about how terrible he is and how we're the better option. And then no joke, later that day, same text, almost word for word. No, it's the other person's name. No, you got to know the real truth about this guy. Click this link and find out how terrible they are and how we're a better option. I didn't say a better option, but I thought, I don't know who, I don't know who you are. You, someone's texting me to send a, a wild, I, I'm done. I was really honestly feeling it, feeling the weight, discouraged. I thought, I don't, I'm trying to think about all these things in my life. I'm trying to get to keep together the same time of kids who are arguing in the other room while I'm like, I don't know. And um, this last summer, we th- this summer, just, you know, we're in it. We went through Psalms and there was so many moments that I uh, had been encouraged by just reading a Psalm over and over. And that is what I did. I didn't know where to go. And I went to Psalm 130, which has been one that I have gone to recently um, when I don't know what to say. And so I, this is where I went. I went to Psalm 130 and this was, I want to want, I want Psalm 130 to kind of uh, lead us into our discussion, our look at second Peter. Um, I, I love this Psalm because of the, the uh, way it, what it walks us into. It starts right where we're at and it walks us right to where we need to be. This is is Psalm 130. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Just I read that a few times over and over a few different translations of it. Just to say, this is this is what I'm feeling. Out of the depths, I cry. Things are broken. This I don't even know where to turn. I don't know who to listen to. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand, but with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Oh, it turns from a cry, a cry to the Lord, just to, yeah, we're sinners and we need you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. I was uh, just encouraged reading that a few times over to have that truth wash over me rather than all of everything, and rather than all of the words of many other people that were giving me lots of options of what would save me and pull me out of this or help me escape from this. that psalm really encouraged me that I could cry out to God, but also be reminded he's the one who saves me. And, and that's where we're hoping to go today. I just, 
that's that's the that's it. So I kind of just told you, but this is we're going to look at Second Peter as we continue here and uh, see uh, what Peter is telling us about all of these teachers around us and what they're talking about. So let's look right into Second Peter here. This is Second Peter. We're starting chapter two. Um, and uh, make sure I got my notes here. Uh, let's read Second Second Peter two. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct, will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. It's kind of got intense. Um, what is Peter talking about here? Let's start. But there were also false prophets. But there were also. He's talking, but this but is connected to something else. It's connected to the verses right before this, where Peter lays out that if knowing Jesus, we have his divine power, his peace. We have to rest in the gospel, just like Jeremy and Celeste shared, one of their favorite passages. All, all we have is Jesus, and in Jesus comes life. And peace and out of Jesus becomes all of this life where we become people who have godly lives. We have mutual brotherly affection and we truly begin to love and care for people. It doesn't become a selfish life. So we love and know Jesus and out of that overflows this life. And so he's saying that and he says, we know this is true. These things are true because I knew Jesus and because God has given us these prophets He's talking about the Old Testament. He's given us these people who spoke or inspired by God. If you remember this, I love this imagery. It's as if they were sailboats who put up their sails and then the spirit of God blows and carries them to where he wants them to go. And so he's saying, we have that in scripture. Scripture can show us what God wants for us and what he has for us, how he has loved us and, and, and uh, makes us people who love others well. And he's, but then he starts this. He says, but there are also false prophets, not, not the ones. They didn't put their sails up and have the Holy Spirit blow and inspire them and move through them. In fact, they hooked their motors up and they zoomed around the lake with their, under their own power. I mean, they paddled themselves, whatever that looks like. They paddled themselves around, right? They chopped down the masts on their boat and used them as a, as a big, stick like gondolas and push themselves around. These were people who were, were not speaking truth, but instead speaking and teaching how life works and how people should act and the conduct of people from themselves. And so it explains here a little bit of what that false teacher looks like. It says they will secretly, so often this is not a overt thing. Uh, they're not going to say, hey, I'm a false teacher or, hey, this thing is going to lead to this. They just say, um, I'm going to introduce destructive heresies. Heresy is a word for um, things that are outside the teaching of Scripture, something that we'd say was a false gospel. Uh, ultimately, kind of an idea of anything that's going to save you, ultimately bring you joy, ultimately bring you peace, other than Jesus. They're, they're saying there's things outside of what God has for us that actually um, bring those things, right? Salvation comes in, in, in things other than Jesus. In fact, he clarifies this by saying, 
even denying the sovereign God. So they're saying, God isn't God who he says he is. He doesn't know what's going on. He did not rescue us. It says, I, I love that he clarified. He's going to just say, they deny the sovereign God, but he says he, they deny God who bought them. That's the right term there, bought them. You know, he's, he's sharing the gospel in like a one sentence. He's saying the God who rescued them, who when they were on death row, waiting their death sentence, came, took their place, took their death sentence, paid for their freedom. And now they're saying, hey, that God, now they have freedom. Hey, now that God, um, I, I don't think he, he didn't really mean that. He doesn't really know what he's doing there. He doesn't maybe even exist. So they're saying that God who freed them from death and sin forgives them, you know, isn't that. He, that that there, there must be there like Jesus deniers, right? I, I'm going to stop here because I think it's an interesting thing for us to stop just for a moment. I had a mo I had this happen to me this week also. This week in the mail, I got this random letter. See this letter? To Reverend Zolke. I don't know if I want to show my address. To Reverend Zolke, which is weird to get. I don't ever get letters to Reverend Zolke. I think Reverend's even spelled wrong. And I thought, oh, what is this? This is funny. And then inside there's just a thank you letter that just says, and ye shall know, that ye is a little, maybe clue into this, maybe it's a little prank, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you, all caps, free, free. I thought, oh, that's weird. And then I shake out of the envelope this sticker. Birds aren't real. What? Who makes a sticker that says birds aren't real? I think I was reading this in my front yard as I opened the letter, while birds are around me, like, birds are real. So I go to Birds Aren't Real. It's a website. Some of you may have know this. Hopefully you're chuckling right now if you do. If you don't know, Birds Aren't Real is a thing. Uh, a guy created this <laughs> website and social media, it's, it's really blowing up. It's big, um, where he has this conspiracy, started as a satire, now he it's a satire, um, on conspiracy theories. His theory is that, uh, in the sixties, uh, the, the government got rid of all the birds and they made them like robots to, sorry, to survey us. And now there's no real birds anymore. They're all robot birds that are used for surveillance. Right. So, um, yeah, so I get sent this sweet, I mean, I love this. I love this, uh, that, um, it's, this conspiracy theory that there's not really birds, they're all surveillance equipment uh, and somehow all managed by, you know, the government. Um, and this passage, so I just, I'm laughing. I think, oh, this is so funny. I had heard of birds aren't real before. I didn't realize the extent of the website, even that you get stickers. Uh, thank you, whoever sent that to me. I bet one of you out there did. Um, and, uh, and I'm starting to consider it. I really think, friends, that, no, but I love that I got this because I was reading this passage um, first, it's just funny. It's just fun to get mail from people and then to have this mail. I'm reading this, this website and I'm reading some interviews with the guy who created it. And, uh, there's interviews with other people. There's chapters of this regionally. There's 
a lot of people who love this. And really they created a satire, a commentary on conspiracy theories. And so often their theories get even wilder um, while, um, you know, while other conspiracies get wilder. But here's, here, here's what's interesting. I think I'm, I'm looking at this, I'm reading this, this passage and I'm thinking, how wild does that sound? If I go Sunday to church and I say, hey, everyone, birds aren't real. This is really important. And I spend 25, 30 minutes explaining why birds aren't real. The bird, butter, those are butterflies. Birds aren't, they're, they're robots, friends. And then at the end I go, oh, and by the way, while we're here, Jesus also is God. He died and rose from the grave and he rescued you from your sins. And you'd say, oh, thanks, birds aren't real guy. There's no way that's true. There's no way. I think when we look at this passage, this is really important. What we talk about, how we talk about things, the things that we put all of our time and energy into, uh, you know, uh, explaining to the world, reposting videos, whatever that is, right? That affects the teaching of the gospel we get to do in our lives. And so it's kind of a side note, not really though, that when we, when we just get way into that, when we want to figure out all things in the world and we want to jump into these things, and we see this, right? You have to know what I'm talking about. We see this right now over and over. Politically, we see this over and over and over throughout our country. Why COVID exists, all these theories, all these ideas. When we get into that and we're willing to like to put to lay down our reputations for these theories, then when when we talk about the gospel, they sound just like we're saying birds aren't real. We can become Christ deniers without knowing that we're becoming Christ deniers. I, I think that's really important right now, especially as we um, continue to move into political season and c- continue to see these things that we're going to, um, we got to be real careful because we begin to spend all of our time trying to deny or affirm things around us and we lose the credibility and the opportunity we have to share the thing that really matters in, in the good news. Let's continue on. Um, at the end of that verse, it says, bringing swift destruction on themselves. We're going to continue to look at what that looks like. That seems wild. So they're doing these things, and there is destruction coming to them. There's a consequence for them turning from God um, and others, and turning others from God. In verse 2, many will follow their depraved conduct, I'll bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has been long hanging over them, and their destruction has been not been sleeping. So what's going on here? It's saying things like greed for power. Maybe it's for security or reputation or to be loved, to be approved, whatever it is. There's a motivator here. That's grabbing everyone else. They're not just themselves believing this, but now they're telling other people and bringing people with them, following their depraved conduct. Wow, that sounds harsh, but really depraved conduct, just conduct not of what God has called us to do. If you look up earlier in 2 Peter, it gives us a list of what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is conduct that typically is people taking and using, consuming those around them. 
We see this throughout all of scripture happening over and over and over people using the things around them. And I love um, in verse three here, it even uh, describes how that often works. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories they make up. Earlier in Second Peter, we heard about, Peter said, we don't make up myths. We didn't create myths for this to be true. Now he's saying these people create stories that then turn you, that cause you to turn away from the sovereign God who bought you and turn a lot of times to them. Right? They use stories or myths. Sometimes you might call this propaganda. We would call this, right? On large scales, any way to turn people from one thing to another thing, usually just from one people group to another people or from one person to another person. It's just, it's just manipulation. These people have manipulated, is, are manipulating people to follow a depraved conduct, their actions. And, and maybe even it's not about power or security or reputation. Maybe it's just they want to do something and it feels right if I can convince others to do it with me. If other people are doing it, if I can Google search, is it okay to do this? And there's someone, there's an article somewhere where someone says, yeah, it's okay to do that. Then you go, okay, now I'm good. They just, maybe they just need people with them. We see this in our, in our uh, house all the time, right? You see a story being used to try to make some uh, conduct. Okay. Right. This, this recently happened. I um, had one of my children, uh, say, I asked, she, she wanted some fruit snacks. Classic, right? This is, this is gold in our house. Wanted fruit snacks. Hey, can I have some fruit snacks? I think I just gave you some fruit snacks earlier. And in fact, a lot of fruit snacks are missing. So let's get to the bottom of this. Uh, and she was quick to go, yeah, dad, let me tell you a story. As she walks me up to her room, she explains to me there's a troll that lives in the back of her closet. He loves sugar, especially fruit snacks especially the same fruit snacks that she loves. So we go up to her room and sure enough, in the back corner of her closet, there's a pile of fruit snack bags and chip bags and some sucker wrappers and uh, gross, you know, like the ends suckers after you eat them. And there's just the, why not throw that away? Uh, and so she explains to me, oh, this troll eats these things and he hides them in this corner. Um, and so I haven't been able to have any, it's terrible. Could I please have some fruit snacks? Shows me the pile of hidden fruit snack bags. Dad, I just, I just want one. That's all I want. The troll's taking all of them. I affirm, hey, you're very creative. I love that about you. You're a great storyteller. There's no troll eating fruit snacks. All right? So I ate a bag of fruit snacks right in front of her. No, I didn't do that. That was a terrible. I felt like I wanted to do that. Right? But we tell... We've learned this from when we were little. They tell the story to pull people in and then we get them. And now all of a sudden I'm believing there's trolls in my house, right? Trollsaren'treal.com. I hope that's, I don't know if that's a real website. Um, anyway, I think this is what happens though to us. And what Peter is saying is that um, this is how false teachers can, can look, right? This is what they look like. They come in and they, they can, uh, they, they talk about things that ultimately are just saying what will save you is this person and not what will really save you. What will save you is just not following those people and we're a good option. How, how, many, how often do we hear this right now in a political season, right? The, the better of two evils. We just hear like, don't follow them. How much do you read 
about which candidate should I consider and look at. And, and a lot of what we're hearing is just why the other candidate isn't good. And this is what I want to make clear. Peter isn't saying, hey, you should follow Jesus because they're terrible and Jesus is a better option than them. Hey, you should follow Jesus because they do bad things and they have destruction coming to them. He's saying, out of all people, even myself, they, they, it's not going to work. The only place of life is in Christ. So I want you to think for a second, who are these people? Let's take a moment, our first stop here. Let's take a moment. Who are these people in your life? We'll count to three and we'll all say out loud, who, who is the false teacher in your life? Ready? One, two, I, I'm listening. So let's say one, two, three, me. If I look at this list, secretly introduce things outside of scripture and the gospel, deny God, look for others to save me, believe others have actually bought me. Wow. Follow conduct that isn't what God's created for me. Deny truth. Become greedy, willing to exploit people even telling myself stories to justify those things and, and feeling the destruction that comes from that. We are, I am the principal of the school of false gospels in my life. I run the school. I hire the teachers I run the hybrid model that might switch to distance learning where I would Zoom call myself throughout the day and uh, teach myself that I can follow my heart and I can justify whatever I need to just do what feels right so I can escape things, so I can run to other things, so I can feel different. I, I think it's really important that we stop because right now we could go false teachers. Oh, yeah. I could make a list of what people are saying online about People who are saying terrible things and doing terrible things, and it's all their fault. And here's the people we should follow. Let's stop. I am a great false teacher to myself daily. And what Peter says here, and he's about to expand on, um, is that there is destruction for those. There's not, it's not just not a good way of life. It brings death, destruction, and ultimately when Jesus returns, it brings, it brings real judgment. So let's look, he, he says this, he ends this, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Their condemnation has been long hanging over them. What does that look like? Is that a new thing? No, he says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, he's going to explain a few moments in scripture where we saw this happen. If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning the ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. If he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented by his righteous soul, by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. 
If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. He's saying there's there's a history of what happens when we turn from God. We forget who bought us, who loves us. And he shares a little bit. These are moments in scripture. In Genesis 6, we hear about uh, these uh, angels who come um, to earth. They actually hear in Genesis 6, we hear they, they see that human women are very attractive. And so they come and have children with them. They sexually assault women, what the text looks like. They actually come and make children with these women. It's terrible, and God comes and is not happy. In fact, this, um, this moment comes right as we, as we transition in the moment with Noah. In fact, we think this could be the time when this could be the real evil darkness, the turning from God that causes the flood. In fact, Peter might be sharing this because some of the conduct of the false teachers in Asia Minor, where he's writing this letter, is similar to this. That they're preaching a gospel that they should be able to do uh, whatever their flesh desires. In fact, even it's not sin for them to do that. And and that comes out for them uh, sexually in that community. So he, I don't think it's an accident he's sharing a story here of where people came and hurt other people in that way and how strong God's reaction was to that. He sent them to hell. We don't actually hear that part in this in Scripture. We know that God then comes as we move into the story of Noah. He finds Noah, who's a righteous man, who fo- righteous meaning he just follows God. He puts his faith in God. And he says, Noah, build the ark, and he builds the ark, and he floods and, and clears the earth kind of resets it, cleanses it. That's how dark it got. But God did bring punishment to that. He's saying, this is how serious this is. God did bring punishment to that. And then he talks about the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. In a similar way, one of the largest areas of sin and turning from God for them was in the same way in in the sexual ethic of that community. In fact, we hear in that story of uh, men coming to Lot's house to take people, even, Lot even offers his daughter. And then an interesting part of this story is he, they call, Peter calls Lot righteous here. Um, and then uh, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah is actually burned, turned to ash. God destroys it. So in a similar way we see in the flood, destroy, this is, Serious stuff. God takes sin very serious. So he's warning people, not just that these things will turn people away from Jesus and they bring harm to them, but these bring like annihilation, like darkness and destruction and death to turn from God. And then in verse nine, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. He's reminding us God's anger towards sin. He's reminding us that our conduct matters, what we believe and how that plays out matters. But is this passage, is the goal for Peter 
just to scare us into fears? Is it just to say, God gets really angry, so please follow him so that these bad things don't happen? Is it to remind us that we better behave or we're going to be burned to ash? Is he just an angry dad who's saying, you better do this or you're in big trouble? I don't think so. I, I think we can miss this if we're, if we're not careful. I don't think this is a passage about scaring us to behave because one day God will return and we're going to be in big trouble. This is a passage about reminding us that even when we're false teachers, even when we turn from God, even when a man named Lot, who I would be cautious to call righteous, a man who offers his daughter to these men, God still could call righteous because Lot turns to God, because Noah turns to God, puts his faith in God as the, as this, as the Savior, as the rescuer. This is where verse 9 is so good. And the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. We have a God who can rescue us from these things. And if we turn to God, he can change our hearts and we can bear fruit. In fact, this seems like pretty harsh. And you think, Peter, you got kind of intense here about this. I don't know if God, maybe in the Old Testament, I don't know if New Testament God does the same thing. Uh, he, Peter has to be re- remembering his time with Jesus. And Jesus says the same thing. In Matthew 12, Jesus actually multiple times shares a very similar thing. Peter is just ultimately repeating and sharing what Jesus taught him. Jesus says this. He says, make a good tree and its fruit will will." will be good. Make a bad tree and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. He's talking about the actual conduct of the people, which we're going to look into this next week even more. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, or by your words you will be condemned. Jesus is talking about there's a day of judgment when he will come back. And on that day, where you have put your heart will, will determine what happens. It's, it, this isn't, Peter's just not making up. He doesn't just get kind of wild about end time stuff here. But I want us to not, I, I don't want us to miss this. This seems kind of harsh. If we just see the one side of this, this could look like God being a really mean dad who enjoys punishing his kids for their bad behavior. This is actually a holy king who can justly punish those who break the law. How how much do we feel this right now? Don't we want people who still have to pay the punishment? Do you want to see murderers go unpunished? Sinners get away with sin, right? All week we hear people crying out for justice for a man who was shot. People cry out because there must be people held accountable for sin, for disobedience. God is holding lawbreakers, disobedient, accountable. Here's the good news though, friends as one who is disobedient and will be held accountable for that sin. God is not just a king who rules on his throne waiting to bring punishment, waiting to judge us 
But thanks be to God that he is a king who rescues, who rescued Noah, who rescued Lot, that he is a king who has made a way for us, a king that loves us so much that he's willing to send his son, Jesus, to take our place on death row, paying for our treason, all of us, and all of our treason, so that we would have passage into his family. How good is that? We, we could sit, you could feel, you could, depending on your maybe personality, your own experience, your upbringing, you could say, this is terrible. God is terrible for doing this. And you might say, yeah, God should do this. These people are bad people. God loves you so much that he would send his son to rescue you. There is a way out. And it's through Jesus. This passage isn't about false teachers and identifying bad guys. It's always about a God who rescues his people. And as soon as it's not about that God rescuing his people, we have a problem. And this is where I want us to end our time. How do we identify then a false teacher, even when that's ourselves? I think this phrase has been helpful for me in my life. Is the goal of the teaching person-centered or is it God-centered? Is the goal for this person to become more powerful, famous? Is the person ultimately trying to become a savior, save themselves or others? Or is God ultimately the rescuer, the justice bringer, the peace creator, the joy infuser in lives? Is God our goal or are we being a, are we being a conduit of God, the hope that is in God? Is, are we preaching salvation in Jesus? Are we preaching salvation in our flesh and our desires? That's the question that we can ask as we try to filter those things around us, how much information we take in this week. Uh, ultimately, what will that be? I, I want to share a moment that I think looks like this. 57 years ago, uh, this week on the 28th, was the famous I Have a Dream speech. Martin Luther King Jr. was uh, at a march uh, uh, that was uh, to bring awareness and also protest, just like they had they did this week, um, injustice in our country. And, and you might have known the story. I shared a little bit of this story uh, months ago when we first uh, uh, started our church in in January. Um, we were highlighting in January and February um, great uh, Black Americans. Um, I highlighted a woman. Uh, her name is Mahalia Jackson. She's right there in the photo. You see her circle. She's an amazing gospel singer. Um, she's the influencer of many other, Aretha Franklin and other women that we love to listen to in our house. She's also a very dear friend of MLK. And, and the story here is told from Clarence Jones. Clarence Jones is uh, actually one of uh, MLK's closest advisors. He was there with him. He tells the story of that moment. And, and I want you to hear uh, how this moment changes, how the teaching of, uh, of Martin Luther King Jr. changes in that moment. So can you imagine this moment, right? 200,000 people are gathered. The plan was for him to give a five-minute uh, short speech. Other people were sharing things. He got five minutes to share something, and he originally was um, going to share uh, this this idea, this kind of metaphor of that, that as black people, they had been given a bad check. They couldn't cash it. The, the culture and maybe the government and the people, uh, 
in America had given them a bad check that didn't work like they thought. He thought that wasn't quite as controversial as the I Have a Dream speech, which he had given versions of that. And so here's what happens. Mahalia Jackson, he's, he, he takes a pause and she can tell he's starting to preach is what she says. So he, he goes from just talking to now he's all of a sudden like speaking differently. And she yells out. So this is the story from Clarence Jones. Uh, he's, exp- he's telling now, today currently, he's telling the story of what, what kind of happened the moment. He's sitting there. He hears her yell out, tell them the dream, Martin. Tell them about the dream. And Clarence describes this way. He says, it's one of the greatest gospel singers of our time shouting out to one of the greatest Baptist preachers of our time. What do you think was about to happen? So, so he was standing about 50 feet away from King during the speech. And he saw that he then takes the text that he had written, that he was going to explain this idea, this blank check, and he sets it aside, the lectern. And he grabs a hold of the lectern and he looks out over the 250,000 people who are assembled. And uh, uh, Clarence Jones says he remembers turning to the person next to him and saying, these people out there, they don't know it yet, but they're about to go to church. Great. Is that a great moment? And so then Martin Luther King Jr. starts to give one of the greatest speeches in American history. Maybe I mean, world history, I mean, in that moment that we all have heard, we've all talked about, we celebrate every year, we celebrate it 57 years ago. And this is how he describes that. He says, King's body changed, he transformed. He turned from a lecturer to a preacher. I have never seen him speak the way I saw him speak that day, Jones says. It was as if some cosmic transcendental force came down and occupied his body. It was the same body. It was the same voice, but the voice had something I had never heard before. Can you imagine being in the moment? So this is my, this is my encouragement to us. Peter here is warning us of false teachers and ultimately what the problem is, is their teaching is about them and about anything other than God saving us, which is false, which is not true, and will bring destruction and bring hopelessness as we try over and over for it. So I encourage us to look out and and assess those around you, but really this week, assess for yourself who you're hiring at your school who's teaching you. Are we preaching the gospel of goodness, how we'll save, how our political party will save us, how a vaccine will save us, how maybe a drink after the kids are in bed will save us? Maybe it's just many hours looking for a teacher, scrolling through, trying to find someone who will tell me how to save us. Or are we going to be looking to the king who has saved us? He has rescued his people. He's made them family. And he takes care of the evil plaguing this world. He takes care of it. Will we be people who get our bodies occupied? I love that Clarence Jones. As if, are we the ones who are willing to get our bodies occupied by this God and let him use us to bring justice into the world? 
changing that teaching in our lives to really being our sails being blown by the Spirit. Oh, how our world needs that good news today. The news that, that God has saved us and loves us and freed us from destruction. Let us teach those stories around us, especially to ourselves today. Let us look to the word and the spirit and the people of God as our teachers this week. I'm going to ask us to close with something. Uh, I, I don't think this is too weird to do. Um, I want us to pray Psalm 130 together. This psalm lets us cry out for, for the wrongness around us, but then walks us back to the gospel that God is our hope. And so wherever you're at, we're about to take communion. This is going to walk us into communion together. Um, I want us to pray this together. I, I, I uh, just rewrote this so it's a corporate communal thing to do together. But wherever you are, I can't hear you, so I don't know if, you know, if you're really doing this. But um, I'd love for you to do this. Let's say this together, right? You don't have to be embarrassed. Let's say this together just with me. Say these words as we walk into a time of communion Together as we cry out to God and be reminded that he is the one who rescues. That turning to anything else will cause destruction. Let's go. Let's read together. Out of the depths we cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear our voice. Let our ears be attentive to our cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of our sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. We wait for the Lord, our whole being waits, and in his word we put our hope. We wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. Church, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem us from all our sins. Amen.